0: What's going on, guys? Dustin with the LFG 1904 show. Proud to announce our partnership with Law Tigers. If you have been in a motorcycle accident, let's get you the compensation you deserve today and get you back on the road. Go ahead and call this number, 858-306-1986. Once again, that number is 858-306-1986. Law Tigers, nationwide. Doesn't matter where you're at. Call that number, LFG. I'm definitely not tripping at all. All right, man, let's kick this motherfucker off. Let's go, baby. Yeah! Welcome back, guys to the lfg 1904 show. My name is Dustin. I got uh, a friend on today, and I can't wait to get this started. Many of you might know him as uh, sketchy by nature on Instagram. I know him by TT, Tristan, Tommy, Thomas. Just kidding, Tommy. Don't fucking call him Tristan. He'll beat your ass. <laughs> um, real quick, I want to get into this. So, uh, you know, guys, I've been off for a couple of weeks. I just had a baby. Uh, thanks for being patient. A few people have hit up the Instagram saying, what the fuck? I know. We're human. Life happens. My wife got pregnant. How dare fa- you? If you guys have an issue with that, blame her. She How got pregnant. You? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, you know. I don't know.
1: Yeah, but anyways, it's, it's, yeah, nothing to do with it.
0: it's 5 a.m. And uh, my friend's going back to Oregon today. We were just doing the Parts and Labor show. Or I'm sorry, Parts and Labor event expo. Yeah, there expo. we go. Excuse, excuse me. Expo. So now we're over here in the garage. Like, goddamn, the Howard Stern show early morning in New York City. Feeling, drinking coffee. I kind of like it, though. but yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Come on.
1: It's gritty. It's gritty. So what's going on, man? What's happening? a lot a lot so much thanks for bringing me on man i, I appreciate know. it this is awesome um yeah no uh busy as hell absolutely like non-stop all the time uh i'm a, an unemployed <laughs> i'm an unemployed retired 25 year old and i've got no time for anything <laughs> uh, it's but only- you have
0: but you have uh so like talk about that real quick like you we're in the military, right?
1: Yeah. Um, I will I will say like...
0: So you have income coming in. That's all I was oh, going to yeah, say. For yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, I've got it. Right. Yeah, no,
1: it's a it's, it's a joke that I say, um, but I do yeah. I do have... A, I'm 100% disabled uh, right. from the VA. But like what I did in the military was a very small amount compared to most people. Um, I did seven years in the Oregon Army National Guard. Like I was a nasty girl. Um, I joined when I was 17. It was like uh immediately after I, I signed that contract, I was like, I fucked up. I should have gone active. Like, I immediately right. realized, because the entire, my childhood, like, uh, parents and, you know, teachers and shit would push for college. And I thought, you know, college is what I wanted. I was a nerd kid. You know, I was into math and fucking science. I was into aerospace right, when yeah. I was, you know, 16. And then I'm for the summer of when I was 17, I, I worked at a ranch for, like, a month and they were just starting this like ranch little, um, property out in Malala in Oregon. And like, uh, there's the dude that owned it. And then his two buddies, they all served in the infantry in, um, active in Fort drum, uh, 10th mountain. And I was like a fucking kid and they were like influencing the hell out of me. And so I left that summer, like I'm going in the infantry, like it's, it's going, it's all good. Like, and then I, but I was like, Oh, but college, you know, how am I going to do college? Well, stopped in a national guard recruiter's office and he's like how about you do both Ooh. um which is both a little bit bullshit like you can do it absolutely you can do both but what they don't tell you when you join the national guard is that it takes just enough of your life to make everything else doing everything else really fucking annoying and difficult like you can go to school and work and do the national guard and i did that but I was working 64 hours a week, going to school full time. And then a weekend a month for, you know, it it always lines up on like, you know, major project days or finals week, whatever. You have to take those three, four days that month and go in the field and freeze your dick off or, you know, work hard, you know. Um, But. I found out that I love that job more than anything else in the world. Like it was so much fun uh, running around shooting guns and fucking, you know, just like when i when i went overseas it was like the the most passionate i've ever been about a job was like cuz i was a gunner in a truck when i was overseas like just behind the 50 cal on patrol like it was the coolest co- coolest fucking thing i could never imagine ever doing as a kid and then i re- you know i was like this is what i want to do for the rest of my life you know this is it this is my passion and then um I got home and a a year later, so a year out, I was kind of doing some things, and then I ended up wrecking real bad. Right. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, so what? What
0: take? Let's take us back real quick. So where you were in the military for seven years, right? Yeah. So you went and overseas. Where were you at? I was in Somalia. Somalia.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it was such a wild, random like uh. So in the National Guard, so you. Most units uh, are in Oregon deploy around every five years. They're on a deployment rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's typically to go into a training environment or to do um, SEC4, just do some, like, base security stuff. And that's what we did. We just happened to get lucky, um, like, really lucky. Uh, one platoon of my company got we all hand picked out this platoon and then we got attached to a different battalion that was going to the horn of africa and then one company from that battalion was going to go into somalia and do sec four do base security for a um just an air base in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and so i like you know for that time in the war and how everything was going like we're in the infantry all we want to do is go get in a fight like that's that's what we've been training to do like that's all we, that's our mindset everything we're just like trying to go find the fight um except for we're in the national guard so it's really hard uh, <laughs> <laughs> like we all knew we fucked up at some point you know right. um and we got somalia you know and like we before that we had a couple deployments canceled like locations canceled we were supposed to go to like fucking jordan or something like that and it got canceled and then we found out we were going to, you know, Horn of Africa, and we're like, okay, well, there's Djibouti, which is just boring. It's just like a naval. Sounds bait. fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jibouti, yeah, it sounds baby. Djibouti. Yeah. Uh, it is ass, you know. <laughs> but um, we, you know, we found out we were going to Somalia, and like we were just stoked, like absolutely stoked, and right. um, you know, it was. There was the problem with the environment that we were in, so. like the leadership of the Oregon army national guard. And I think a lot of places suffer from this is like, it was just the, the disconnect between officer leadership and like company level and battalion level level leadership to the guys was huge. And there was a lot of problems with, um, how it was being led at that level. we, there was a lot of unsafe stuff that happened due to just like poor leadership decisions yeah. like lack
0: lack of care and concern or like go and handle business yeah
1: it was a lot like you know uh power hoarding for um just for you know to feel more powerful than people like we you know we we made some waves uh, as a as a squad we uh, and as a platoon we were usually how these kind of base security things goes is everybody does a job for about three months and rotate. So you have like three positions. Typically you have your tower positions. Um, you have your ECP, your entry control point, and then you have your QRF, uh, quick reaction force. And I was on QRF, um, the whole time they didn't they never rotated anybody out of a job so everybody who's in a shitty job got a stale job i had the best job we got to go hang out in a fucking shack and just wait for things to pop off like mm. that was our entire job um and you know train in between all that so uh we got the trucks um, the good patrols because we had the trucks and we had the skills with the trucks um, we can go farther we can go faster we had more security we had more firepower on us so like we get, got to go do the the more longer patrols people were jealous of that we were also kind of cowboys we were um, our squad, uh we all tried to grow our ha- hair out as long as we could you know mustaches past regulation as much as we could just renegades yeah, yeah trying to you know we all worked out at the gym together as much as we could and we were trying to wear as little clothes as we could while well, we did that there were females on the base so there was always a concern with like put your goddamn you know i was just in american flags uh silkies like ranger panties like most of the time really? uh, trying to get that tan full body you know <laughs> <laughs> um and just lifting weights in a freaking you know prison style uh, gym that we built and like it was awesome it was it was cool but the the leadership looked at us and they were like they're a bunch of douchebags we don't want them to do stuff and what we were really good at our job and if people were nice to us we were nice back to them absolutely it was a, it was a respect thing but we started getting problems with people like mortar people are weird and i know if anybody's listening to this is 11 Charlie out there I'm sorry, but you're fucking weird. Like, anybody... Explain, explain what that 11, is. So, mortar uh, infantry mortarmen. So, there's two um, infantry MOSs. So 11 Bravo, 11 Charlie. 11 Bravos are riflemen. They're they're your typical infantry guys, you know. Um, they're a bunch of weirdos in those, too, for sure. But, like, when you have... mortarmen are 11 Charlies. They They run 60s, and they can run up to 110s, mortar tubes and stuff like that. And for some reason, every mortar platoon and mortar squad I've ever worked with has a bunch of just kind of like uh anti-social like awkward as fuck people like really? just you know nothing against most of the people like that it's just like they the way that they handled things was not typical and what had happened is we had backup beepers on our fucking trucks and we every morning at 7 we change shifts we do uh 24 hour shifts we would back our trucks in at 7 in the morning and they got mad at us because we had backup beepers and they had twelve hour shifts. And so they had a night shift that was trying to sleep. And we're like, you know, we're on a fucking yeah. base in the middle of Somalia. Like, why like so they they didn't tell us first, so that was the problem. They went straight to higher level leadership and then it came down to us that we needed to stop doing that. And we're like, Okay, you wanna handle things like that. So in the chow hall, and every time we see them we'd go beep, beep, beep. Oh. Just like on <laughs> and shit. <laughs> it was so good. That's fucking great, you fucking queers. Yeah, no, nah, it was and you know, in hindsight, you know, there's always we always could have handled the things better. Like we could have sure. had a better relationship and all this stuff. But we were, we were fucking kind of, you know, we we're like
0: cowboys, yeah, you said yeah. It.
1: And like, uh, eventually, it got kind of escalated to, um, like they we found our wires cut on the beepers at one point, mm-hmm. and you know, we couldn't, you know, prove anything, obviously. But right. you know, there's only one person that was ever complaining but we did like they they you know we tried to get them to fight us like that's all we wanted to do is like if we if you fight us we will be fine like we know like everything will clear you know you can come talk to us if we fight like because after that be this settled we're homies but but they never they never wanted to do that one dude tried to walk up on us when we were just like outside of our shack shooting the shit and he was trying to sleep apparently and like we were being too loud we weren't I didn't feel like we were we were being pretty conversational but he came out and then it was like five of us and one of him and we all stood up at the same time and he's like never mind i'm going back to sleep <laughs> um and we you know we tried to keep a good relationship with everybody but uh we just kind of got a reputation of being uh cowboys basically like yeah. you know running around and um it it was all said and done though a really fucking fun deployment besides the fact that we never got shot at and it was really fucking like uh you know, only the dudes that are in the infantry probably will understand that is a lot of people are like, Oh, thank God you didn't get in gun gunfight." Like, and we're not, no, like that's, we were begging for it the entire time. Cause right before we got there, the base got attacked like in a massive complex attack that got completely stuffed down by the dudes that were there. It was, there's a lot of awesome video of it. Really? Um, yeah. But it, we, we were like, fuck. Yeah. We're going to, you know, you know, it's all like, be careful what you wish for and all that stuff. Like, uh-huh. um, everybody who's been in like all, all of our leaders, like my squad leader is a wonderful guy. Um, he knows all about it, but like he, he also understands like his entire squad was a bunch of dudes that had never been in combat before that so badly wanted it. And so he was like basically just, uh, holding back fucking dogs and all, that's all we wanted. And there's so many times where we were on the precipice of it. Like we were right there, it was about to happen and then shit just didn't happen. And Mm -hmm. so it was kind of like just leaving with blue balls, you know, but, um, <laughs> but a lot of life you're experience. ready.
0: You're ready. To, you're ready for war. Yeah, absolutely. And you're, like you're
1: ready. And, you know, I, I found out that I really liked that job. Like the I watched uh, there was Marsoc on that base at the time. And like I got to watch them do their thing and like, you know, how fucking cool the special operations side was. And. Um, I that's when I kind of you know pieced together that that's what I wanted to do is go into the special operations side of things, and so I started making a plan to go to selection. Um, and that was around. So I got home. I was in fucking great shape. Absolute, like you know, worked out basically every other day for three hours. Mm -hmm. Um, got gained twenty pounds, cut back down twenty pounds, so I was one hundred seventy five pounds, but stronger than I've ever been before, and um. I did a couple schools when I got home. Did a uh, mountain warfare school. It was the coolest fucking school I've ever done. Uh, What's that? Uh, it basically, you go to Vermont and you hike a fuck ton. You basically spend uh, every day you walk um, up steep ass hills. What's ver?
0: What is Vermont like?
1: Vermont is beautiful. It's like Oregon, but on the East Coast, like, okay. and with less homeless people. Like, it's it's gorgeous. I would yeah. absolutely love to live there.
0: I had a friend that I had a friend that grew up there too, and he ended up. You know he was he was a junkie like me and I met mm-hmm. him in rehab. But yeah. <clears throat> I would always say like, "What the fuck do you do?" You know what <laughs> I mean? Like drink syrup on the weekends. Yeah. You know, si- you,
1: you ski. A lot of people mm. up there ski. Yeah, he's, he's got a, like, he's a big skier. Yeah, I don't like. I, I just like the mountains and there's a lot right. of rock climbing stuff because they got good rock and that's part of the mountain school was like you learn how to rock climb, you learn how to tie. You have to learn how to tie sixteen knots, be able to tie them and state their function without fucking up and that's part of the testing for the school. Right. I I don't I remember one of them, but well I
0: know I know that there there's three sta- states that are the top states pretty much in the fucking world that are the safest mm-hmm. and two of them are right here in the United States. Oh wow. Vermont and New Hampshire. No shit. By wow. far hands down the least amount of crime. I mean like people still fucking leave their doors unlocked and shit. Like old school
1: shit. Damn. Yeah. So, but <clears throat> yeah, nice people too. Like he said that too. And yeah. he, and
0: this kid was Dave. If you ever listened to the show, I love you, bro. I got I got this dude in the concrete pumping, and I fucking ruined his life because he's like <laughs> fuck <laughs> this job. You know it pays yeah. really well. Yeah, but. <clears throat> He was uh, just a fantastic, nice, nice, nice fucking guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I always looked at him like, you're a fucking junkie. <laughs> like, you know what why? I mean? Like, that's what's so funny about <clears throat> heroin, just any drugs. Yeah. It's like, it does not discriminate. You know what yeah. I mean? It doesn't matter what the fuck you look like, white, black, yeah. fucking orange. It's going to make you fucking crawling. It's just the same.
1: Yeah. addiction's addiction, man. I know. Like. <clears throat> Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's so early. I fucking, My voice is still gone. <laughs> um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I was gonna ask real quick Are you the Are you You have any siblings You're the only child And the fact that You're only 25 bro Oh yeah yeah Like honestly (laughs) I am fucking amazed By people like you Because When I was 25 I still had my fucking head So far (laughs) up my ass And like I wanted to just do Whatever my friends were doing I wanted to fucking Do coke on the weekends You know Yeah
1: I don't know I was um, I'm not an only child I got a I got an older sister And I got a younger half sister Okay Um Growing up was not, you know, it wasn't exactly ecstatic about it, you know, like a yeah. shit was weird and both my parents are addicts and um, like shit's torn up, you yeah. know, as as it happens when you have parents that are addicts, you know, it's not, it's not a staple environment no matter what it is. We right. ended up moving around a lot. I, I lived in Montana. I was born in Montana. What um, part? Ben uh, Billings was born and then I lived okay. in Lockwood, which is like... It, if you're in Billings, you know what Lockwood's like. It's just a trailer. It's a giant trailer park, basically. Okay. Um, it's like literally like if you could define white trash. Okay, that's where I grew up. Like yeah. I, you know, uh, to the T. And what a beautiful state! My sister lives there. Oh, Washington or Montana is just incredible. Yeah. Absolutely, I have family that lives in Western Montana and like that's uh, what part? That's uh, where uh, she lives. Uh, the Bitterroot Valley, it, uh, north of Missoula. Yeah, um,
0: so that she lives in Thompson Falls. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Beautiful place. Yeah, it's, oh, I... Talk yeah.
0: about old school shit. Like, they're in a, you know, Walmart. You know yeah, what I mean? It's no. like, if the closest Walmart you want to go to is in Idaho.
1: Yeah. My, it's uh, wild. My my family that lives there, like, it's it's monthly shopping trips, because yes. they live out in the mountain. You know, like, they they hunt not just to hunt. They hunt to stock their freezer. You know, yes. like, yeah, it's just fucking awesome. And they're... I love my family there. They're beautiful <clears> people. Throat> but, throat> yeah, we grew up in montana um until i was about eight and then i moved down to arizona with my dad Um, i was living with my biological mom in montana and like i my older sister was kind of uh hip to what was going on i was just kind of you know eight you know i was just kind of running around you know i was free to do whatever the hell i wanted there like i it was the most free-range child kind of situation like you know Come back at dark, and if you're not back at dark, I'll start hollering for you. But not really. Like I could do whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. And then I moved down to Arizona because my sister kind of figured out that my mom was on drugs and she didn't want to be in that environment that anymore. Drugs? It was meth. Okay. Um it's funny. <laughs> I was I have this memory. Um, so for about six months before we left, we were we didn't have a house. We were kind of bouncing between grandma and my uncle's, you know. Got it. Uh and I was crawling around. There's this one house that we we stayed at for a while, and I was crawling up shooting my BB gun out in the back of this, you know, it was like a trailer park, and then there was a house, and there was two fifth wheels in the back, and one of them had, like, uh, trash bags over the windows, a massive ventilation system, and I was up there, like, shooting my BB gun off of it and stuff, playing around on it and stuff, and then, like, you know, two decades later, I realized... Oh, that was a meth lab. <laughs> I, was, I was I was fucking around on a meth lab I for was sure. Fucking around. Yeah. I was
0: shooting was you were you shooting at it?
1: I was shooting off of it. I oh, was climbing on yeah, I was okay. sitting on top of it, shooting <clears throat> off of it. Thank God I wasn't shooting at it with But this he was, was in Montana? Yeah, yeah. Right. And I was like, Oh yeah, okay, cool. Like great. <laughs> awesome. Um <laughs> uh yeah, and I moved down to Arizona with my my dad and my stepmom and uh You know, I I left one toxic environment, entered another one, and just didn't realize it yet. And, like, my dad, you know, is... I love him. Yeah, he's just... had has struggled with alcohol his whole life. And, like, he was also... Back in the day, was a meth addict and then went, got rehab. Kind of figured things out for that, but still kept the booze going. And the booze just fucked him up. And, you know, he... I love him, you know, and if I don't know if he'll ever fucking listen to this, but he Maybe. knows he, he knows that like I recently I've had to completely separate like and can't have contact with him for a little bit. He he cheated on my stepmom back when I was a kid and then um you know, my stepmom wasn't she never wanted kids, and, but she was the only parent that ever parented us. Like she was there my dad basically Uh, We showed up and then he started working out of town and, you know, he refused to have jobs in the same town that his family was in. So it was my stepmom raising us. My dad would visit on, you know, a couple weekends a month um, for the rest of basically. Was he a
0: businessman? He was
1: in construction. Um, He would do quality control and quality management for light rail projects. So basically we would follow him where work went. So I, I ended up living in Utah and in Oregon is how we how we got to Oregon is they had a light rail project and. Um, we he'd move us there, we'd live with him for about a year and then he'd get a job in another state and then, you know, we would go for like that for a couple years and then he'd be like he'd quit his job or we'd get a new job that paid more in a different city and then he'd move us there and right. then that, that job would end and he would move with the company somewhere else and we would stay. And in that, you know, there was a fluctuation of like, you know, the first time that he cheated uh, shit just went to fucking hell in the house, you know, I was in 8th grade and like like, getting my ass kicked at school and getting bullied and shit, but also going home to, like, just absolute savage chaos. Like, my, you know, my stepmom and my dad quit his job, and, like, uh he went to rehab, then quit his job, and then told my stepmom he cheated on her, like, all in, like, the same month. It was, like, a terrible month, and then he came home and then started drinking straight out of rehab. And, uh like, it was just, like, everything erupted at home. It was, my stepmom was, like, super livid with him, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. like... And we eventually, um, that whole, that whole school year, it was just like, just trying to get through it, trying to make it through. Like, uh, a lot of the stuff that happened then I didn't, I didn't really realize like had a lot of effect on me, like the rest of my life, how I viewed things and how I viewed relationships and stuff like that. But it was really a lot of stuff that was like hard to, uh, comprehend as a kid. But, um, eventually they decided to stay together. Uh, and then, which was probably a bad idea for my stepmom, but, <laughs> uh, it was, uh, is a, a bit, and... So he cheated multiple times. Yeah, he cheated that time, <laughs> and then, and then recently I found out, um, it was actually last year, uh, I was, I wrote down, I don't know if you saw... I rode down and broke down a shit ton of times on the I way. Did. Yeah, okay, did yeah, see that. yeah. So that's that's what I like to do. Um, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I rode down and I stopped. He was staying in San Francisco. He's got a, he's got a job there, and uh, I found out he was cheating on her again. And he told me, you know, don't, you know, this is none of your business. You don't go tell your mom about that. And I immediately went and told her because right. she was the she was the parent that stuck there. You know, she's the parent that actually gave a shit and tried. And like, regardless of how much she, so did, this was
0: just recent.
1: Yeah, Ugh, yeah, brutal, and, bro uh my stepmom like she never wanted kids but she she stepped up and both my parents who wanted kids failed yeah and so i love her like the mom like she's my mom and uh it's funny because she's also a five foot three chinese woman so like it it's (laughs) she looks you know it's hilarious but um you know and and my dad like i gave him kind of like my requirements for him to be back in my life is like i need to see him actually try to be a good human being and not pretending to be a good person not telling people he is and then just like ruining his relationships his, my sister won't talk to him for like the last 3 years is her sister she's a, a year older than me so she's 26 now i think
0: Did she ever head on right like you?
1: Uh yeah it took her it took her some time but she's uh she's an incredibly strong person she's got a kid uh mm-hmm. and like she's been through she had a brain tumor Oh wow um that you know like that fucked up a lot of stuff like hormonally and it was on her pituitary gland so it was just kind of like uh made things like hard you know and like going you know growing up's hard anyways but like growing up and like not knowing you know having your all your shit out of whack and not knowing what's going on and eventually she got it removed they found out what it was going on and got it removed and like you know she's she's like the strongest chick i know she's she's scary man she's tough as fuck like uh she's got a you know it's funny. She she worked at a um, uh, a rece- uh, at the front desk of the mental health um, a mental health emergency room called uh, called Unity in Portland. It was like the the w- toughest and roughest uh, mental health emergency room hospital. And she worked there for like a couple years, a year or so. And like it's gnarly, man. Like it was like mid Portland, uh, middle of Portland, like mental health violent crime criminals and stuff The cops would pick up uh people who are mentally unwell and have like violent problems and they can't take them to jail because they're mentally right. unwell. they have to take them to that room
0: psych house yeah and
1: yeah. she my my you know my sister's trying to fucking keep her head on she's got a kid she's trying to like keep her mental health shit right but then she's dealing with these crazy people and like it's really hard but she she developed like a way to be incredibly loving and caring but also tough as nails and like, she's got a throat tattoo now. And like, you know, she's tough as shit, but also right. like, I love my sister. She's awesome. Right.
0: Um, well, maybe, I mean, what I was thinking is perhaps like, cause you are, you wanted to be a gunner, like yeah. you wanted to do the most. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. And so her working in, that, in these hostile and crazy environments, maybe you guys feel comfortable just because that's yeah. how you grew oh, up. Oh, we
1: we've talked about that. Yeah. You she, know? she said that like uh, a lot of the shit she realized, ha- Um, she was good at that job was because of how we had to take care of our dad when he was hammered, you know, like just in those situations. But yeah. um,
0: It's amazing thing that you and your sister are not drug addicts or, you know, have some sort of disorder because, you know, one out of two people when you're in that situation normally are not coming out the outside, you know what I mean? Like I'm the addict in my family, my sister's not, you know, and and I've seen that in other people's families too. I mean, now it's a, there's probably more addicts than not. I mean, that's just be
1: honest, but I was barreling towards alcoholism for sure. Like I, I I think I, I, I'm fair to say I've got an alcohol problem, but I've, I've kind of figured out how to solve it at a young age. I got lucky that I was influenced. Like, like you said, I'm 25, but, uh, I got influenced by the right people at the right time. I've been so fortunate, but I was, when I was 20 before I was even fucking legally ate, you know, a lot of drink. I was, um, me and my wife, uh, we had split up for a year and it was the most rough chaotic year I've ever had. Um, but I moved in with a buddy and he was 28. Um, one of my best friends to this day but we both had a drinking problem in that time like we both fueled each other and we basically all our fridge was was coronas and whole milk for my fucking work you know like my my workout shakes and shit yeah and uh we, Sounds
0: like, that sounds like a pretty solid bachelor yeah oh no refrigerator. It, was, yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude, it
1: was pretty typical <laughs> but like it, it got heinous and you know every night was just getting fucked up and like i didn't like who i was at that time and the longer it went on, the, the least I like myself, but that made, makes it, the drinking worse and how you handle it worse. And this was leading up to the deployment. It was like this year. It was right before I left on the deployment. And uh, I I ended up going on a motorcycle trip around the country. I rode down to uh, Anaheim, went to Disneyland with some friends that I met there, um, went through uh arizona because my my mom and lives in arizona my stepmom and then i went up through zion through utah montana and back home and like in that trip i started texting my wife again um we were split up at the time and you know trying to you know seeing how she was and stuff and i realized you know we both realized that we still you know i i've been in love with her for so long, and she's such an incredible person. And I, uh, the entire time we were split up, all I wanted to be was back with her. But I didn't think she wanted to be back with me. Uh-huh. And in that journey, I like it was the first time I ever like realized how powerful self awareness is, and to just self reflect and like understand that you have control over your actions and your your behavior, um, and you don't have to be like this. And at that same time, I was rekindling things with her, and I got back uh, home. And we went out and got a drink, and uh, it was like it was. A, I was married, you know. For me, I was married to her the night that I got back and saw her again. Like right. um, a month later, I proposed to her, and then I left on a deployment. <laughs> oh wow! Uh, yeah, immediate. You know, we were back together for a month before I was overseas, and you know, it, that's hard. But like it, we our relationship has been through test after test after test, and like she's my best friend, and I love her to death. Like she's the best thing that's ever happened to me. All right. What's your wife's name? Uh, Jenna.
0: Jenna yeah. sounds like a. Jenna, you're one of a kind. Yeah, she is, for sure. Especially to put up with this guy. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> um,
0: That's amazing, though. Yeah.
1: And then, you know, like, a lot of, you know, I've got I've had the opportunity to grow up a lot and, like, learn lessons people don't get to learn, because, like...
0: Uh, you said something earlier where you were saying that you had the right people around you. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I didn't either, but this sticks out to me, because our, our friend Tom says this often, too. It's like you surround yourself with great people and you like learn from their mistakes and all that. You yeah. see, I had that same thing, but I, I, my addictive personality blocked those out. Yeah. And it's so weird how it. like there's you and I are the same people. but We're so different at the same yeah. time because a, your self-awareness is so fucking high, man. And you're, it doesn't matter that you're 25. I honestly, I'm, I, I'm, sh- I'm surprised that you're 25. I thought you were a little bit older, <laughs> Because you speak so well, you're very. Appreciate that. You know, you're very mature, um, but I mean, Jesus Christ, you have the world by the balls right now, bro. <laughs> you're starting a clothing brand. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know that you're going to go through s- some traumatic things. We'll probably get into that if you want, but it's like, yeah. you have the you have it by the fucking balls right now, and for you to say that, like, i you have this this huge strong self awareness, and it's right, a, right. such a beautiful thing because, and I know for myself and most people that are listening, we didn't have that. Yeah. You know what I mean? We didn't have that. We were just trying to figure shit out. And oh. I that's why I I just I get so amazed by people like
1: you. I appreciate to that. To be
0: that young yeah. and just have your fucking head on your shoulders
1: think, and you're married How long have you been married for? Uh oh shit. Uh, I got married in 2020, October okay. 31st, 2020. So beautiful. however long three years. that was 3 years, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. And so there you go. So
0: I mean, you basically have been married fucking since 22 right 20 oh no 321 okay yeah yeah you know math yeah math math. yeah i think (laughs) i
1: yeah i was 20 i was 22 yeah um no i don't know what you know i just i've been into a lot of it you know what a lot of it has to do podcasts fucking podcasts a lot of it has to do with listening to jocko podcast uh jocko podcast uh, the daily stoic podcast um just listening to people cuz I, I i i realized soon you know before i was even self aware about some stuff that like the people you're hanging out with and the things that you listen to and consume will affect your personality greatly and i was you know, mm-hmm. back when I was younger, I was fronting, trying to be the tough guy because I was scared and I was insecure, and I'm still scared. I still got, I'm, I'm a very insecure person. But like, most most men are. Yeah, and we, I we just don't admit it. Yeah, exactly, right. We're insecure. Yeah, you just you know try to be tough. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, exactly. Really, like that's why blow you know, that chest
0: out. Like, what the fuck? she looking yeah. at me. <laughs> 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 Comes over to me. Hey, what's going on? Oh, nothing. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah,
1: I like that's why I try to be the goofiest, nicest. Like you know, I wear Scooby Doo socks and pink shorts to expo events. You know, like. Um, because I'm, I, I have this like desire inside for people to think that I'm tough and all that shit. Like I, I feel that cause I grew up getting my ass kicked in school and I, yeah. all I want to do now is like show people you can be vulnerable and still train jujitsu. You can be vulnerable and, you know, and, and, and open to people and show people the struggle and the, and what real life is and be a real human being without yeah. ego as much as you can, but also train jujitsu, work out. You know, I I can still carry up there, train with firearms. You know, do do what you can to protect yourself and protect your family, but also you don't have to be an asshole about it. You know, like, sure. um, but yeah, like, going, there's a lot of
0: people that are the opposite too. They're, they want to be bullies.
1: Oh yeah, you and know. I think that you know that fuck those people. You know, exactly. that's I'm I, I'm out in out in the world to try and root those people out. And so you new do, do
0: you do too? Jiu jitsu,
1: yeah, yeah. Jesus uh, Christ, kid. Yeah, Fucking that <laughs> motherfucking time, <laughs> oh, boy. Um, god damn i'm still real fresh in it i'm a two-stripe white belt doesn't like, yeah, matter but it's it's so much fun like getting getting fucking choked out every day you know when you go train like mm-hmm. getting you getting a freaking uh 135 pound dude wrap you up and beat you up and stuff it's pretty humbling like i i appreciate it you know right. it, it lets you know you're you're like alive people who think <laughs> Reminds that, they can you fight. that you're still alive yeah, yeah. people who Barely. think that they can fight and like have never trained to fight uh, go do a, cl- a jujitsu class and pick the smallest person who has the highest belt, and you will get humbled so fast. Sure. Like, it's it's such a humbling experience to have somebody just, like, completely control you without any power over them. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And I, I started doing that overseas. Uh, some dudes, it was, it's kind of, like, the grittiest, coolest thing ever. There was this blown-out Russian fucking, like, old Russian building that they put mats in, and we would go, and, like, there was fucking, you know, like bullet holes and craters and shit all of it and they put mats in it was sweaty as fuck because it was like humid as hell in somalia yeah Yeah. dungeon baby. yeah and we would just go and train there and just sweat our asses off and like a bunch of different people from different schools would teach classes and stuff it was awesome um and then i i got into it got home um it took a little bit back a little bit time to um get back into a gym but a month after i started training again uh was when my accident happened um mm. And I So I tried I got home I tried to go work At a Harley dealership And I tried to sell bikes And I fucking hated it Hey I, I own two Harleys And we all ride Harleys Yeah I fucking hate people Who ride Harleys <laughs> <laughs> There's there, there is some Fucking assholes yeah. Like it, it It's not It's just like There's a no, lot just of Just hold
0: on Just look, think about the event Yesterday Oh yeah Because the, the, that event Is very diverse Built oh, Will yeah. has a diverse mm-hmm. Clientele That's yeah. fantastic Yeah there's a lot of people that are probably riding fucking goddamn whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vespas. Yeah. And sh- you know what I mean? Badass. So whatever. Yeah. There's a bunch of things. But I noticed yesterday, I'm like, you're not a Harley guy. You're yeah. definitely not a Harley guy. <laughs> yeah. You're somebody else. Yeah. Which is cool. And I'm not like judging them by yeah. any means. It's just fascinating. Yeah. Because-
1: the the, the cross-section you- of culture at the Bill yeah. Will shows are crazy. And
0: but, but but back to what you're saying. There are some really, really fucking douchey yeah. Harley
1: riders. A lot of the culture, like there's there's an old culture in Harleys that like I'm not about. It's in it. I don't know what it is, but like it's a, a racist tough guy culture. Like there's something about a certain crowd that like, and a lot of those dudes are hit their midlife crisis and get into Harleys, and like that's where it comes from. It's dudes that ride because not because they love to ride. It's because they love to stoke their ego with a motorcycle. Yeah. And I got into riding when I was 19 and I've been doing it because I love riding. since then. I was a month out of riding, I saw a dude die and I tried, you know, I was, I, you know, I made a decision then like a, this fucking poor guy. He was, I, I don't remember his name, which sucks, but he, huh. I was at my apartment complex and I heard a crash behind me. I turned around the dude laying in the grass, a bike's on its side, a lady screaming, she's scared. And I run over there Dudes on the ground call nine one one. They teach me, you know, talk me through CPR. Yeah. Um, Another uh, fucking paramedic who's on vacation happened to stop and come and swap me out, and so I, you know, kept nine one one on the phone until they got there. Kid was dead. Kid broke his neck. You know, I was doing CPR on a dead body, and but you don't know. You're just trying. to Yeah, I'm just trying to. Yeah, I do the same thing. And I paramedics got there. I walked straight back to my bike, and in that walk, I was like, "Motorcycles will kill you." I just watched a kid die. on a motorcycle i'm a month into having this bike it is either i do this forever and i'm passionate about riding and it's my life or i drop it right now and i got back, back on my bike and i rode away because i i made that decision that day and i was 19 so it was probably a dumb fucking decision that i'd never drop riding and since then i've been in you know six accidents um one of them was major, and we'll talk about it in a second. Yeah. And then one of them, I got hit by a car, and it was pretty minor, but I totaled my bike. And the rest of them were just, like, you know, fucking fucking around and slapping the ground a couple times. But, like, I've been riding to the, this, you know, I didn't know a lot of people when I was younger riding. I would just ride by myself, so I would do really stupid stuff with no one to see and i didn't know that you could do stupid stuff and make money off of it which is now kind of a popular thing um but i would do like that that trip i told you about i rode um through a record-setting lightning storm um it was like a a hundred miles of dumping rain and it it was like two to three thousand lightning strikes in the gorge um and it was terrifying i should have pulled over but there was, like, this dumb fucking thing in my head. I was like, send it, send it, send it. <laughs> fucking do it. Um, so I was, like, skating around, you know, hydroplaning and shit, like, staying up and, like, can't see shit. I have a, um, a gold visor, and it's dark outside, and all I can see is when lightning flashes and the taillights ahead of me. Lightning flash, lightning flash, taillight. Like, that's what I'm trying to, you know, surfing my bike, doing shit. Like, I'm the only person I know that rides at the time and, like, just doing dumb shit, you know, without anybody to teach me. Sure. Um, and, that, and that's kind of what led up to kind of the mentality I had uh, when I got back from the deployment. You know, I bought a, a new Dyna. Or not a new Dyna, an old Dyna. It was a 99, his first year twin cam. Um, mm. And, you know, I rode all year round because um, I thought, you know, up in Oregon, that's an actual thing that – it's tough to do <laughs> it's not down sure. here in fucking sunny San Diego yeah you guys got nice ass weather down here but up there like midwinter it's 35 and dumping rain and like I was too cheap to buy gear so I'm just getting hypothermia every day to and from work that's why I can <laughs> handle the cold is because I just refuse to buy I gear. know. just
0: to let everybody know we're in my we're in the we're in the shop baby in the garage and this dude has shorts and a sh- tiny shirt on. And I'm like, and even at the event yesterday, you have a tank top on yeah. and shorts. And I'm like, bro, it's fucking cold in here. And I'm like, oh, okay. He's from Oregon. He's like, you fucking pussy San Diego's motherfucker. I'm, like, I'm going to show you what time
1: it is. I, even in people you know, in Oregon, pick up fucking nuts. Cause like I'll, uh, you know, I'll work in t- uh, tank top and t- in shorts in the middle, dumping rain, stuff like that. If sure. it, You know, go out and, in the snow with a tank top and stuff if I can. But, um, yeah leading up to that accident though yeah. it was like i i was working so uh <sighs> God damn it. sorry about that um people i i wrecked in the luckiest way possible like the absolute best way you can wreck a motorcycle real bad i was um the national guard called up a bunch of soldiers to go plus up hospitals because it was a, a big covid surge so a bunch of people were in the hospitals they didn't have the staffing and so they called up a bunch of infantry guys which is a dumb idea because we were just dumb as rocks all we wanted to you know it, i don't know how but they basically put us up in hospitals we're yeah, yeah,
0: we gonna shoot somebody <laughs> yeah
1: right no i don't but, give a fuck <laughs> i what it, the job ended up being was you'd you'd sit with patients who were um unaware of what was going on and would try and rip out their their like intubation and stuff like that okay. and so you just sit there to let them know like hey you know you're at the hospital um and then call somebody if they need them and then you'd go help nurses clean up um uh, clean rooms and flip patients that are too heavy to be flipped. I flipped a 500 pound man. Wow. For, so he can get his ass wiped. And um, it, Jesus. It changed and, they th- all, and they all had COVID. Yep. They all had COVID. So it was in COVID words. So you, you're, you're like head to toe in gear that they put you in and shit like that. And it's wow. like, wow. Yeah. It was an interesting gig. Like I, I got a, a lot of respect for nurses in that, in that gig. Like they're hardworking, hardworking group of people. Like absolutely uh, just a lot of good, good hearted people in the nursing community and like really just trying um, and then I would immediately um, get that proven again because I I was working that job in Springfield, Oregon which was about three hours away from where I lived so I'd work three on three off I was on orders for I don't know a chunk of time and in the guard there's a couple kind of orders. Um, I was on state active duty orders so um, it meant that I was on active duty technically. And I wrecked a motorcycle en route to my home of record. And I was, um, you know, I won't I don't know. I don't remember the accident, so I don't know exactly what happened, but I was in the police report, um a witness that I hydroplaned. Um it had just rained for the first time in the season. I was headed home. Um I remember leaving a Denny's. What kind of bike? It was a uh, it was that ninety nine Dyna Okay. Um and club styles, I I can't I, the bike though it looks like now, way better of a bike. Uh, but I I woke up in the hospital and like that was wild. Um, what a trip. Yeah, I uh was on active duty orders, and so immediately you know this is another thing. Um, people who are in right now in the military, be friends with your supply guy you know, make friends with your supply guy, both my supply guys, uh, two, I have two really close friends that were my supply guys. One of them's like one of my best friends. And the other guy is the dude that allowed it so that, um, I could immediately get taken care of. He found out I wrecked the, like right after it happened because somebody, I had a ID in my wallet and they found my unit and they found him and he immediately got what is called a line of duty, uh, LOD. Which meant the army was responsible for my accident because I was uh, in the line of duty at the time. I was just going home from work, and so that qualified me to be in the line of duty. It's lucky as hell. Like I, I'm so grateful for that. Like I, you can't. I, I, the amount of money it cost. I was in the hospital for forty days. I had like eight or nine surgeries. um, The amount of money that it was millions of dollars. Uh, I had a life light from. Let's,
0: let's talk about the crash then, real fast. Yeah. Let, get, let's let's get the listeners really engaged yeah. on what happened because you said you hide your plane, but you, and you, obviously you don't know.
1: Yeah. Because you were knocked Not out. Not sure. What
0: What was the story that was told? Like so, what happened?
1: Um, I was in between the Albany and Corvallis exits on I five. Um, I was on a freeway. I don't. You know. I won't. I don't know how fast I was going. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. 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 Um, but I hit water the damage on my bike i have damage on a scrape uh from asphalt on the left side the low side so i think what happened is that i hydroplaned, low sided it and then it flipped me and threw me at the they have steel cable barriers my uh right side high up on my femur smacked the steel cable barrier um and tore my femur off uh, apart and then my femur cut open my femoral artery and all the nerves on the inside of my leg so i have a fat really fat scar on the inside of my l- leg right next to my nuts right but my nuts still work yes um, just yeah just letting you know don't worry guys he's uh, gonna show me soon yeah um <laughs> i broke my pelvis uh my pubic symphysis and another spot of my pelvis Ugh. um i ruptured my liver my spleen and my lung I broke my left leg at the tibial plateau my left ankle at the, t- uh, at the bottom of the tibia. Um, I got a bunch of muscle removed from my right leg. Um, so I got uh, compartment syndrome. Um, is when, when you get traumatic uh, injuries, your body swells up really fast, and then it cuts off circulation, and then your bo- your muscles go necrotic. And so they, started, they had to cut out a bunch of necrotic muscle from my lower leg, um, which is why I have a lot of problems, my lower leg and then my femur cutting all my nerves meant so that I only have one working as far as I know, one working quad muscle. Um, I don't know which one yet. I'm actually getting a, um, a nerve study done at the end of this month, but I've got a bunch of muscles that don't work in my upper leg. Um, and like I woke up not being able to move either of my legs, uh, but eventually, I could start feeling my left leg, and then my right leg, I never started be able to feel it. And so
0: you don't feel your foot right now on your right side? I can side?
1: feel, so eventually, a uh, year or so later, sure. I started to feel the, the um, far right side of it a little bit, and okay. I can twitch my toes, and I can twitch my foot. Um, so there's a couple things that work, but it's like enough to basically to twitch it. It, it, it. I call it my rubber chicken foot because I can just shake it and it looks like a rubber chicken. Sure. Um, but not much. I can't feel most of my leg. And So without walking on the brace would be pretty difficult for you. Yeah. It's awkward looking. Like, um, I can do it just kind of, okay. So yeah. It's just
0: wiggly or floppy chicken,
1: floppy chicken. Cut. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. like, yeah, I wouldn't, I, I luckily I trained jujitsu without my brace on. So I know that I can at least,
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can
1: at least, you know, stand and fight, but you know, it's not, uh, it's not ideal for sure. sure. Um, yeah. And so I spent, uh, so at that time too, my wife was able to, so my poor wife, um, that, That's what that, I said, that, God fucked bless her heart. that fucked me up, man. Like, uh, cause she didn't tell me, you know, she gave me my space, obviously. Like I woke up in the ICU. I was in the ICU for five or six days the first time, um, until I was stabilized and okay to go move into the trauma unit. And then when I moved to the trauma unit, they, uh, it was still COVID time. So I wasn't allowed to have visitors after the ICU. ICU is the only time you can have visitors. But my wife later told me, um, the story of how she found out oh. what was going on and so i was coming home from work and i was supposed to come out be home around six and around six ten she gets a phone call from the hospital and says hey are you with somebody right now um and she said no she's like you should get somebody to come with you before we talk and then um call this number back oh i just got the fucking goosebumps yeah. bro and like Oof. um and you know her mom, her mom was five, ten minutes away, uh, so she, she shows up, and she calls back, and she's like, okay, well, your husband is been in an accident, and they gave her kind of like the uh, couple lowdown of the things that were like life-threatening for me.
0: What's going on, guys? Dustin with the LFG 1904 show. Reconstruction Rescue is your best choice for flood restoration services in San Diego County. With years of experience in the industry, their dedicated team of project managers will work hand-in-hand with you from start to finish specializing in home insurance, water, damage claims. They take on the headache of dealing with your insurance company so you don't have to. Call this number today for a free estimate. 760-891-9919. Once again, that number is 760-891-9919. Reconstruction Rescue. Y'all know the deal.
1: And then she got to have a phone call with me. I was high as shit because they pump you full of stuff. They thought I was going to die, and that's why they gave her the phone call. And so she, God, this is hard. (laughs) Um, She had to talk to me, you know, thinking that I was going to die. And that fuck, like, when she told me that, I was like, okay, like, I got to, there's some things about how I ride that need to change a little bit. Like, um, that broke my heart a little bit because that, that wrecks people, you know, like she has an entirely separate base of trauma that came out of this, you know, and it was because of my hooliganry, you know, like my, just wanted to ride motorcycles all the time, all year. Um, and she, she was strong as hell. Like, uh, eventually, you know, they, she was able to come see me, you know, it's funny. Um, I talked to her cause I, my dumb ass high as shit. The first thing I do when I wake up is ask if my bike's all right. <laughs> and, uh, yes. uh, I'm like, I'm intubated and I'm trying to, to, uh, t- like talk to her while I'm intubated and I start writing out letters with my finger on the bed and I, I spell out, She's like trying to, you know, she thinks it's going to be something profound. And I'm spelling out, okay, there goes my big sports career. There goes my big sports career. (laughs) Just making fucking jokes. I talked to uh, my trauma surgeon a month or so after I got out of the hospital. And he's like, yeah, dude, all you were doing was trying to talk shit and make jokes. Like the entire time. Like you stood up and showed me where you were in the accident while your femur was still separated. Oh, wow. I was just trying to, I guess the entire time, I don't remember. I was just trying to make somebody laugh the whole time, which is just, you know. That's what I guess I am. You know, that's how I found out who I was. But so, yeah, I spent most of the time in my hospital stay, though, 40 days by myself. Um, She had to leave after those first five days. And then I was alone with the nurses and nurses are badass. But I Mm -hmm. I couldn't um, I couldn't move, you know, below my waist. So everything was messed up. So I had to have, you know, you know, I would have to have somebody come over, roll me over, put a bedpan under me, and I'd shit in the bedpan. And then they roll me back over and wipe my ass and, like, um, you know, like all that kind of stuff. And I had a lot of problems with constipation because they put you on opiates, uh, and opiates make you constipated. So right. the first time, it took me eight days to shit. Like, most right. of my hospital stay trauma was shit-related. Um, yes. Uh, I had, midway through the stay, I had a massive ulcer. Um open up in my stomach and I bled out into my stomach again. So the first time I bled out, uh, I was replaced with 18 units of blood um, because that was, you know, femoral artery cut. I was on the ground for about eight, eight minutes and people usually die after five. I lost most of my blood. Um, and then the second time I bled out into my stomach and I got 18 more units of blood, um, which was metal as hell. I, I had just finally gotten my appetite back and I ate a fat burrito because I ordered on DoorDash and the nurses sure. brought it up for me. And I was like, mm, my stomach kind of hurts. Uh, but it's probably because I just ate a fat burrito. <laughs> right, right. And about an hour later, I was like, ooh, I'm going to throw up. So I let the nurse know I was like feeling nauseous. She gave me a bag. And then I told her, I was like, oh, it's, I think I'm about to throw up. And then she like comes in the room and then I hurl, but it's just like all blood. Oh, no. It was so like, it was like the beginning of a fucking deathcore album or a deathcore uh, music video. Yeah, and I yeah. vomit blood. And that was the first time I ever seen a, a, a nurse lose their chill because she just kind of went white and hit a coat, hit a button on the wall and then like 10 people were in the room really fast and I realized then it's not like the movies where you can throw up blood and it's cool yeah. uh, throwing up blood is bad <laughs> yeah. uh, and it turns out I had an ulcer and they couldn't do anything about it they kind of just had to let it um, if it was actively bleeding they could embolize it which you know burn it and stop the blood but as soon as it stopped bleeding they couldn't find it so basically, I went into the ICU, intubated. They knocked me out. Um, and then they told me, yep, it's going to have to heal on its own. So the next, my, the next time, a uh, few weeks of my stay in the hospital was a cycle of no food, only water, only liquids, uh, soft food, bleed again, no food. And so I was going through, like, I lost so much weight from the initial accident to the end. And then, like, I couldn't eat a lot of times. So that fucked up my uh, appetite for like a year after that. Um, it was just really hard to eat because I, I went through that like starving cycle, um, while I was in the hospital and stuff like that. So, uh, but eventually, uh, after my bleeding, I was, I didn't bleed for like two, a week and a half and they, um, and I was just begging to get out of the hospital. I was ready. I'd been in there for 40, you know, over a month and I hadn't been with my family. You know, I was alone and trying to, you know, eventually finding out, uh, you know, my, my right leg is probably not going to come back. You know, they saved it, which is incredible that they saved it. But it, you know, my feeling and my ability to control it, like I didn't know at the time, but, um, how far I'd be able to get, but like at the time it was like, you're probably not going to be able to use it, you know? And so I was dealing with all that just sitting by myself. And it was like, you know, honestly, like I'm surprised that I handled it so well. I, but there was like the right people at the right time. I had a, a couple nurses that you know i was just like having conversations with and i was like, you know what fuck this i'm gonna i'm gonna conquer this i'm looking down at my legs and how fucked up i am and i was like people have had it so much worse i'm gonna conquer this like this this is not gonna fucking stop me yeah
0: and so you, you've had drive for a long time so yeah
1: it, i just you know this this is where i had to prove it you know this is where i knew i needed you know i need to prove to myself that i'm capable of you know yeah. whatever and so i hit the ground running as much as I could when I got home. Um, uh, a little tip for people who are coming off of major traumatic injuries that want to avoid being addicted to opiates, quit as soon as you get out of the hospital, get off them. You don't need them. Start smoking weed. Um, if you're not a fan of weed, uh, like smoking, take edibles, but RSO oil, uh, that's what helped me transition without having severe pain problems. I have, you know, most of my nerves in my right leg are fucked. Um, I have a lot of pain constantly, and there's a lot to do with how you psychologically deal with that. But, like, for sleeping, that was a big one. It's really hard to deal with pain while you go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And they give you, like, I had, you know, Dilaudid and fentanyl and all that shit prescribed to me. And, yeah. like, I don't want any of that stuff. It makes me feel horrible. And also, I'm, you know, an, an addictive personality kind sure. of guy. So I didn't, you know, I knew I would be fucked up if I if you stayed on that stuff. So I a week out of the hospital, is off all of it. And I was using weed to go to sleep and to manage pain throughout the day. And um,
0: you still smoke weed now?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I smoke to sleep and okay. occasionally, you know, just to chill out. Yeah, just chill. But yeah. uh, it's really like I at towards the end of the day now. I'm just my legs on fire, so I'm just kind of smoking to. That's
0: what I was going to ask. What is the what is the pain feel like?
1: Um, it's a mix. Uh, there's uh, at some points it does feel like I'm my legs on fire, like yeah. it's burning, um, and uh, there's like electric shock and like random spasms of like electricity and then there's you know when your foot falls asleep and then it starts to come back and it has like yes. that static so like yes. that times 10 is basically all the time brutal uh, yeah so and but you eventually get used to it and then it doesn't seem that bad you know like uh in the initial stages i was like man this is gonna fucking suck but now it's the same pain but i've had it you know constant for so long that it's just with background noise you know um and sometimes it's worse sometimes it's it's not and you just kind of like go with the flow and you you have to decide to stop to not let it affect your life like that if you make a decision and you do things to help that thing that that path then you know there's a path to to continuing to be the same person you know it's hard um but i i knew as soon as i got out i was stuck in a wheelchair and i was like i don't want this to be forever so i'm gonna do whatever i can to not make this forever so I had an in in home PT come and um, teach me how to stand again, um, and then teach me how to walk again. And then I took my first steps. So we immediately moved in. The, oh, the glorious day I got to leave the hospital! Oh, that was right. such a good day, um, leave the hospital. And then I was immediately terrified because I still had a shit ton of open wounds and stuff that I needed to take care of. I was like, oh, the hospital, the hospital's safe, you know? Like there was not complications in the hospital. So we moved in with my. Um, father-in-law's mom, um, she had a ground floor access into a, a finished basement that I can go stay in. She's a, another, just incredibly, the, her, my wife's family it, are the best people in the world. I lucked out so much. They are half the reason why I'm a put together person because I got to go get influenced by people that have kind hearts that are self-aware. And they taught me a lot about that is like how you self-reflect and be self-aware and like know that you are in control of the actions you make. And if you're a dick, it's on you. Um, and so I moved in with them, um, with, with her grandma and like that journey started like a lot of it. I got some, most of the time you kind of just have to sit there, you know, you not, you can't do PT all day. Uh, just like, no way you have the energy to do it cause your, your body's healing. So it'd be PT. Um, I would do exercises three times a day for my lower legs. And then, um, about three times a week I would do an upper body workout in my wheelchair. So just like dips in the chair, overhead pressing, um, and rowing. As much as I could. And then, uh, like, the lower body PT stuff was just, like, move your leg. You know, um, do do these kinds of things. Like, uh, try and get control back. Trying to feel. Um, your, my left leg started to have a lot more feeling. I started to be able to rely on it. And I started to be able to do more PT with my left leg. Um, and as soon as I got the all clear to put weight on both of my feet, I would do standing exercises. So, basically, like, roll go from the bed, sit up on the bed, get a walker, and then stand up into the walker, sit down, stand up in the walker, sit down, stuff like that. Because you can, I could only stand for about the first time. I stood for a minute and my feet, my leg, everything was on fire because all your blood, you're not used to having blood down there anymore. Um, your circulation's bad. I also had my femoral vein um, severed and never got repaired. Um, so my right leg doesn't drain blood that fast, which shitty, but, you know, it is what it is. And so my leg was... Stays swollen really long, and so uh, dealing with those kind of things over and over, and eventually they told me I was being in the wheelchair for six months, and I got out in two and a half because fuck being in a wheelchair, that shit sucks. Uh, moving around town and shit like that, trying to go to the store and stuff in a wheelchair, and my legs had to be straight for a long time. Like there's no room. The life is not designed for wheelchairs, and I feel. Mm. All, you know i feel for people that are stuck in wheelchairs and like i i see it now Is like there's a lot of shit in the world that's not that people don't think about people in wheelchairs like and it sucks and so um but i was grateful to get out of that i was in a walker and i got i got back on a motorcycle while i was still with the walker oh uh, my god yeah uh my sport so we got to visit uh my apartment and i got to see my apartment for the first time after so long and uh and uh, it, seeing my apartment after the first time, there's a video on Instagram of me doing it. And I, you, what you can't see in the video is my, me just start immediately crying uh, when I go, when I walked in because it was just like I got to be home, you know, for a second, and it was awesome. And then I went down, and um, I think a week later I got on my bike and I, I rode up and down the, the street for a second, and I was just like ecstatic. I was so stoked. Didn't realize, you know, my leg is stuck straight basically, so I'm yeah. like trying to hold my leg up with my little bit of hip flexor and just like you know ride my bike. Um, and it was rigid at the time. So it was just like super painful. But, uh, eventually the recovery progressed to, um, I was out of a walker. I was in a cane. I practiced walking in a cane a bunch. Um, it looked really awkward. And then I was in PT, uh, as soon as I was able to, I think I went, went to PT for the first time when I was in a walker, but, um, I met my physical therapist, uh, his name's Joe. Um, I'd be with him for the next year and a half. And, like, that's, that's where, like, I realized I could I could beat this. Like, as soon as I got to physical therapy, I told him I'm running again. I'm running Hood to Coast again, which is a, a, a relay race up, in, up there. And he's looking at me like, <laughs> my fucking right leg is demolished. And he's like, all right, okay, well, let's start with the first few steps. Let's learn how to walk better. You know, let's learn how to yeah. use a cane. And um, I'm like, you know, fuck that. I'm, <laughs> he's like, let me know what you need for me to be able to clear me to run something. And I'll do it. And he's like, "All right, so let's let's work on that." And um, I uh, I was in my uh, wife's grandma's place and for I think three months about roughly, and then we moved back to my apartment, which was on the third floor, and just steady progression. You know, I didn't have a job that, and that, this entire time, the military has been paying me, so I'm you yeah. know incredibly fortunate to be able to just focus on recovery, which a lot of people can't a lot of people have to recover, but also figure out how to make money work. And I was just, you know, lucky that I got the medical bills paid for and I was being paid by the army in active duty as part of a soldier recovery unit. Cause I was active duty technically for the last year of my recovery or that first year of my recovery. Um, yeah. And then after that, it was just like, uh, build, build back, you know, just hit the gym, you know, adapt to what my, disability is now adapt to how I can lift weights and just do what I can and keep pushing the line every week you know and ebbs and flows of it I'm dealing with the grief of the fact that I'm never going to be able to do the job I love anymore you know I uh, moved up and eventually got medically retired a year later uh, because you know I tried to fight it but you it's really hard to fight like having a half paralyzed leg, you know, like from the, the, from the army's perspective, like I can't perform the duties of being an infantryman. And like, I understand it. It was just really hard to get over that in the initial stage. Like, um, I didn't realize that'd be something I'd have to give up in my life. You know, I thought that that was my path. You know, that's what was, what I was meant for. And I felt like that, you know? And so I had to figure out kind of how to shift gears away from that and stay positive. And, but that's what, that's kind of how I, Develop my mantra of embrace positivity was like I was dealing with all that in my head you know I'm gonna look different the rest of my life I'm gonna be different people are gonna think you know I'm a disabled person now people are gonna look at me different um, and it is true and people do and it's regardless of uh you know their intention behind it everybody looks at the person who has a gimp or a limp or yeah. you know some sort of fucked up leg I agree shit. yeah and you know that regard you have to kind of form this mentality of only positive thoughts, like only positivity and not toxic positivity, not positivity that is like not based in realism. Like I, I am a realist. Like I understand the realities that life sucks, but there's a something, um, this is when I'm talking about like having good influence. So I was listening to the Jocko podcast this whole time. The Jocko podcast change like helped me so much because he would interview people that have been through way worse shit and have done way more stuff than I'd ever you know have a would would have dreamt of and um, he has this thing this saying called good you know you can take whatever bad thing that happens to you and say good and figure out the good thing that could come out of it and like is when I, I was listening to that when I'm fucking laid out you know trying to smoke weed to deal with pain I'm trying to like get these thoughts in my head and I realized like I can make this the best thing that ever happened to me and it has been. And it's like such a weird thing to say is like the best thing that's ever happened to me in terms of my mental health and like my ability to be a good human being was fucking getting in that accident. Like, yeah, I, I started sketchy by nature because I started drawing when I was, you know, bored. Basically, I like to draw. And so I was like, text my buddy. He's like, you want to start a T-shirt company? He's like, no. I was like, well, I do. So I'm going to do it. And, you know, he helped me come up with the name and. Um, And then I just took off running with it, you know, just like printing shirts and giving it to people. But the main—I'm a terrible businessman, self-admitted. I don't actually want to do it to make money.
0: Um, No, you're doing it to have fun, and that's yeah. the way it
1: should be. Because, you know, we
0: started LFG just for fun. Yeah, yeah. And, and it became a business. So mm-hmm. I mean, whole, I'm sure for you, it's going to be the same thing. You're already doing major events, and you, yeah. you know, you're <laughs> you're already out there. I see that you're all over the place in in Oregon, which is awesome. But you have the right mentality. That's, yeah. what, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, bro.
1: I appreciate that. No, it, and I, I actually, like, I kind of low-key don't want it to blow up because I've got other things in my life that I care about more. Um, sure. Sketchy by Nature is, like, a, a way that I've been able to connect with a community um, of people that I know have the same mentality of me but are a lot of people don't have the things that I've learned the hard way. And that was, like, um, a thing I realized. Like, I, I was talking to somebody because, uh, you know, Adam – uh, PDX stunt so he wrecked around the same time I did, and we were talking about, you know, we we connected while we were recovering, and we kind of like, amped each other up. We were both learning these things at the same time about how hard this this journey is and all that stuff. And I realized like a lot of people in the, the motorcycle community, the Harley community, the stunt riding community, like, I don't stunt ride by the way, um, can't wheelie, but uh, they go hard. They have this live now, you know like mentality, you know, in it, which is wonderful. Like you shouldn't waste your time on the, on the planet earth. Like this is the heaven that you need to make. This is the, the good place you need to live in. Uh, make this the best thing in your, you know, don't, don't wait for anything, but also you cannot do that to the point. You cannot use it to cover up something. You're not healing. You can't use mm-hmm. it to cover up pain that you're not dealing with. Like you have to go to your your emotional state, you have to deal with the things that are damaging you before you can be a complete and good person. You can't just be balls to the wall all the time without handling the things that caused you to do that. Because a lot of people go hard because they're trying to deal with some sort of trauma in an unhealthy way. You can go hard and be, aware, present, and just full of good feelings and, hope, like, all the good stuff about it, you can do that, too. Like, you can, like like I say, you can be sketchy, but you can also improve yourself. And most of Sketchy by Nature, like, if people go and read my posts, which I, you know, all 35 people that like them, you know, I doubt that they've actually read the posts. A lot of my posts, I write little, like, uh, motivational shit that I've learned around the way because Sketchy by Nature, I feel, I want it to be more of a self-improvement and like, um, help yourself kind of thing. Like there's my sketchiest fuck shirt and all that stuff. But most of the stuff, like embrace positivity, keep improving, live like you're already dead. Like I, I'm, I want to push a message of like, do the work, do the hard stuff because it's so worth it. Like, uh, that I've had to, I've been lucky. It's weird. I've been lucky, uh, that I, I don't have a choice, you know, like I have to go work out every day because if I don't, then my body decays way faster and I'm not capable of living the life I want to live. So I have to like, and that, that gets me in the gym. It's way easier for me to go to the gym than most people. Like I'm dealing, even if I'm dealing with all the pain and shit, that's extra. Like it's, easier to convince myself to get in and get the work done because but
0: what are you doing right now since you're on like this little vacation for this event um doing burpees. push-ups Bur- okay, yeah. so that yeah makes sense i fucking hate
1: burpees but yeah. i made a i made a challenge this year 100 burpees every day for the entire year
0: that's right give me something yeah man. fuck yeah
1: i'm doing i'm doing 250 push-ups a day fuck yeah fuck yeah i wish i was doing push-ups i fucking hate burpees <laughs> yeah. but that was why i chose them because i know that
0: well i'm too th- lanky and weird like burpees yeah. are just bizarre unless i have to do them if i'm incarcerated you should watch
1: me do a burpee it's pretty gross but this is bizarre I look like a
0: fucking flamingo. Yeah,
1: I hate burpees. And that's why I needed, I know that I needed to challenge myself to do them every day because I will never, no matter how long I do them every day, I will never want to do them. And I know, like, that's good for you. Like, doing stuff you don't want to do. Because it's, like, working out, it's hard sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And I won't, you know, say it's not. Like, everybody who's disabled out there who still wants to get after it, like, it's hard. But, yeah. I see so much more reward in it. So it's not the same, you know, it's not that difficult. It, it doesn't challenge me in the same way as burpees challenge me. I fucking hate burpees. So it making myself do them, uh, grows that part of your brain that allow that is willpower, you know? And I, that's all I'm trying to do is have a willpower to outmatch people because, um, what I discovered in all that recovery, I did, I was trying to figure out what I want to be, you know, who I want to be when I grow up. And I don't know, I still don't know, but, I realized that the one thing I've always been consistent with, because I'm kind of a squirrel with everything else, I I, I just kind of jump, you know, here to there. I have a lot of hobbies, you know, I built bikes, I uh, have the t-shirt company, I like Dungeons and Dragons, I like, you know, art, all that kind of stuff. But one thing I've always been consistent with is exercise, exercise and nutrition. I've been fascinated at it. But If you look at my YouTube history, it's all fitness and nutrition based stuff. I've been really obsessed with it since I was about eighteen. And I'm not a big dude. I get that. I don't look like the kind of dude that's you know been in it for so long. But um, no, you could tell you're definitely in shape. I though. appreciate that. Thank God. Yeah. Um, it it uh, I realize that if I want to do something now that pushes me to the same level that I wanted to do in the military, I should try and go towards being an athlete and do uh, functional fitness athletic competitions. There's really good adaptive. Um, classes in CrossFit and Strongman and so what I decided um, last year uh, when I bought my Exosim so I, have, I wear an external prosthetic made by the hangar Clinic called the Exosim and this guy developed it He's, his name is Ryan Blanc, and wonderful, absolutely wonderful device, yeah. um, allowed me to be able to run again and my uh, orthopedic surgeon who has been taking care of me at ohsu told me you probably walk on the beach but you'll never run again and then the next question i asked him was like okay so i'm running hood to coast this year (laughs) Uh, and he's like well all right you know and he's been on board since and i i got the exosim uh last february and since i got it it was i've never trained harder for anything in my life i um hood to coast is a 199-mile relay from Mount Hood to Seaside uh, on the ocean, on in the, on the coast. Um, you run in team of 12, and I, I run with um, my father-in-law's team, Defenders of Last Place. They've actually gotten last place. So um, I know there isn't going to be – you know, it's not going to be – nobody's going to be bummed that a cripple's running with them. And uh, I trained all year. Um, I would do basically – it was um, CrossFit-style work, so I would do sure. – strongman, um, strength building stuff. And then I would go do a a long distance run. And it's awkward as hell. I like relearning how to run has been the hardest thing I've ever done because my right leg just does not have, so I don't have any quad muscles. I'm also missing a lot of the smaller stability stuff. So I'm pulling up my leg with my hip flexor and then driving my leg. That's what's great about the braces. It uses your hamstring and your glute as power. So you drive your leg through with your hamstring or your glute, and then it loads the spring on the brace and then springs your foot forward. And so I would just go do, you know, I built up from running a mile or less less than a mile, and then I built up to a five-mile run. Um, and then my legs, so you have legs in this relay race. I have three legs. Um, I had a five-mile, it was like a 5.4, a 5.3, and a 3.8-mile run. Um, and I, I was running intervals before... The race and i would run like a minute on or 45 minutes 45 seconds on and then you know 30 seconds to a minute off and i would run intervals like that and i'd organize them based on how tired i was and then um, i thought that's how i was going to run the race and i run my entire first leg without stopping and i cried okay it's remembering it spring tears to me because like sure. it was so like do working that hard and then surprising myself by being able to do that but also like it was so hard while I was doing it, and just knowing that
0: I can—I mean, I can
1: see the emotion right yeah, now dude, from it, on your face. I mean, I—I
0: I, I honestly I can't relate, but I mean, seeing your emotion yeah. makes me fucking understand. Like,
1: yeah, that's it, really fucking powerful, man. I appreciate it. It—it was—it um, it was awesome. Like, it—you know—I've been so fortunate that everything has lined up for me to be able to do this and like be able to conquer it, because like. You know, had, had this been a financial hardship or something like that that most people have to deal with, like I don't know if I'd have the time, I'd probably have to work. But now yeah. I, I had the opportunity. Um, I started when I got this, I was working under the table, under the table landscaping. Um, I was just building my in-law's backyard, basically. I would, I would haul gravel, lift big, heavy rocks and haul dirt and dig holes and, um, and then go work out two hours. You know, and I have the time and the ability to do that because I was I got 100 percent disability from the VA. Right. So uh, it's allowed me Very to cool. put as much time as I want into my training. And so I did that. And right before I ran Hood to Coast, I figured I found out Adaptive CrossFit. I I, fig- I, I I found it and I was like, OK, so they actually have classes for people like me. They actually have uh, uh, divisions for people like me. It's like, OK, that's awesome. And then while I was at Hood to Coast, I met a dude. There was an entire Paralympic team there that was totally blowing me out of the water with the, their incredible fucking resilience. They was like double amputees and people in wheelchairs and shit, and I was like, "Damn, I'm kind of a pussy." These guys are awesome, and so I they came up and talked to me, which was really cool. They introduced themselves. Um, they they were running for a company or a um, a nonprofit called So Everybody Can Move. So you can't. Um, this wasn't it covered by insurance. My access um an orthotic that allows you to run is not covered by insurance. Also, prosthetics that are uh, allow you to run, like running blades, not covered by insurance. So you have to pay out of pocket. So your ability to run is limited by how much money you have, and that's bullshit. And so, so everybody can move is going state by state, talking to legislation to get it in law, that insurance companies have to cover recreational, quote-unquote recreational prosthetics and orthotics to be able to allow people to run without having to go thousands of dollars in debt.
0: I mean, that's crazy because, I mean, Pharma has the most money. They yeah. have trillions. Yeah, of, that's, the, that's the most profitable company in the world.
1: And also they did an analysis based off of like how much premiums would have to go up per month per person. Uh, and basically, so like Colorado's got a bill in, um, in the House that is proposing insurance premiums would only have to increase by, it was like $0.08 cents to $0.35 cents per person per month that is all it would have to increase across everybody to make allow it for people who got injured and got their leg cut off or got a situation like me to be able to run again. And like Mm. nobody would say no to 35 cents a month extra to allow other people to do that, you know? And so, you know, if anybody's listening to this, that wants to go support a cause, like go look up so everybody can move, you know, see what your state's doing about this kind of stuff and like try and, you know, get in contact with people that you can Cause like, It it does like for me, you saw how emotional I got. Like the ability to run again after you never thought you'd be able to do that again is so good. Running is so healthy for you. Like it's a great way. It's the simplest way your your the human body is designed to do long distance running. That is what we're meant to do biologically, evolutionarily, whatever the fuck. Mm. Like it is a very natural thing to do and to have that taken away from you and told you can't do it. I used to hate running. I actually still hate running, but because I was told I was never going to do it again, I'm like, fuck, that's all I, all I want to do now. But, yeah. yeah, so I met this guy named John Heath. Uh, I happened, I was going outside to smoke a joint, and I was walking by him. And this guy was like, hey, that's an exosim. I used to have one. He's uh, a below-the-knee amputee. And I was like, oh, what's up, man? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, yeah, Ryan? And I was like, yeah, Ryan, all that. Um, and we started talking. And he was like, yeah, I used to have an exosim. Uh, and then I decided I wanted to get amputated. And... Uh, it's changed my life. You know, it's allowed me to be able to compete in the Paralympics and then to move on to CrossFit uh, and do adaptive CrossFit. And I was like, well, in my head, I'd never, you know, spoken out loud, but since my accident, I wanted my lower leg to be amputated because I um, immediately was felt inside, I was like, it'd be kind of easier if I was dealing with prosthetics um, and losing the pain and losing the um, lack of mobility and all that stuff. But I never brought it up because I wanted to try and make my leg work. Mm-hmm. You know, as much as I can, you want to make the leg work and i talked to him and had a great conversation with him he's a really good guy um and then we kind of parted ways and i have this thought burning in my head and i'm like okay so i kind of want to cut my leg off but i need to look into this and see if this is gonna if this dog will hunt and if this is gonna make things better because you don't just like that's not just like a, a a quick decision you make you know and so i go home um take a little time off of training for about a, about a couple of weeks. And then I get back into it, start training again. And I start, Hmm, you know, what would it be like to, you know, you know, what would cutting below the knee off do for me and stuff. So I started doing research and talking to people and eventually like, okay, I'm going to bring it up to my doctor saying kind of getting a feeling like this, this might be beneficial. And I talked to my uh, surgeon and he's like, yeah, like I, I get it. You know, I understand like, it's ultimately up to you. Um, I'm going to support whatever you have, but I can see exactly what you're talking about and I understand you know, the things you're pointing out. Basically, um, quality of life and function. So prosthetics versus external prosthetic, like prosthetics have more um, development in the technology side. Like there's just been a lot more uh, people involved in making prosthetics and the um, adaptability of prosthetics are incredible. But what I'm looking for specifically is like, can I increase the amount of work and effort I can give with cutting my leg off and putting a prosthetic on? And overall, since then I found I have determined probably, yeah, it's most likely I can increase the amount of stuff I can do. If I get a running blade versus having my leg in the prosthetic, I'm cutting out a lot of weight. I'm increasing the amount I can move how and how fast I can move. Um, if I, you know, I can get, uh, John's got this foot that I got to talk to him about when I cut my leg off that, um, tracks your knee over your ankle a little bit. That's the one limitation about these kinds of things is it locks your ankle in place. So doing a full depth squat is impossible. Um, but his, uh, he has one that he can actually allow him to do it a little bit more. Um, rock climbing, surfing, all the things that I, I discovered. I love surfing. I've done it once and I fell in love with it down in Costa Rica last year, but, um, like all of these things like, Oh yeah, it actually kind of be used to jujitsu so you know i rolled with a dude who's missing his leg above the knee dude crushed me he's also he's also really fucking good but like dude was absolute savage and like you just learn a style of jujitsu that's like beneficial and i right now i'm just uh exposed in jujitsu. i have a very very easy place to attack that i will tap immediately because i know if yeah. you go after my right my, my right leg i can't do anything about it
0: yeah you go after the floppy chicken yes yeah, exactly yeah. yeah
1: exactly it's done so i i started thinking about that And then um, I had an appointment with a couple, with a surgeon who deals with post-amputation and then a prosthetist and an orthopedic surgeon all at the same time. Uh Had a conversation with them, talked to the prosthetist, and that's what made me, like, solid. Like, I'm doing this. Um, So now, this summer, I'm setting up, um, hopefully this summer, you know, things with surgeries and stuff always are kind of up in the air until they actually happen. But this summer, I'm going to set up, um, get my leg cut off below the knee and move in towards doing uh getting a prosthetic and then transition to doing adaptive crossfit um competitions and trying to get that going you know i i I, you know we spoke about this friday and
0: and i was thinking about it on the way home actually but now getting to know you even more and just you know just the person that you are
1: I just think that you'll be able to fight through anything. Well, I hope so, man. Because the fucking the competition at the adaptive cross level—I'm at the bottom of the barrel right now. Um, I am—I am not the fastest, strongest. You know, like i am 165 pounds right now. Uh, I've been building back. Like i, I got out of the hospital, about 155. So I put 10 pounds on since. But um, I am not the most mobile and the most fit. I have a lot of skills I need to learn to be able to be competitive. I—I'm guessing. Um, so the way that the competitions work is you do, there's opens and then the top 10 or 20, I think it's top 20 move on to a different and then move on to finals. And so they, you know, it narrows down at the top. I'm, I'm guessing I will be in the open category and not move past that for the next at least two, maybe three years. Uh, but I have the opportunity to, you know, as I said, I don't have to work. I'm going to school right now, um, to actually it's for applied health and fitness, um, to, basically to get skills for this is like i you know i don't want to hire a personal trainer i'm obsessed with health and fitness so why not get a degree in it and it'll help me be my own personal trainer and in the meantime you can help people too yeah and then you know what when when i'm able to compete and i get um when i'm done with that i can turn into helping other people who are dealing with the same things and i can move towards that and so it, it allows me opportunity to grow after athletics and if i you know if i fucking wreck a bike again and lose my other leg you know i know that i can come back from it um a lot of the hang up with people when i tell them i'm going to cut my leg off is like you know what happens you know what ifs you know all the what ifs and stuff like i, I i've been asking myself the what ifs too you know there can be complications with the amputation you know what if you have to lose you know above the knee what if i already learned how to walk again i've already you know learned how to run again um i'll do it again and then if i have to do it again and i have to do it again and i have to do it again i'll do it like it, it uh there is no end goal it's just the work that is today and like as long as i keep that in mind and like that's a lesson for anybody's like um especially you know you you're doing the the whole working out thing constantly like um everybody starts a fitness journey or a self-improvement journey thinking of the before and after picture but the reality is is like Anybody who's taken a before and after picture, you don't just stop after you take the after picture. You actually have to work for the rest of your life to maintain and improve that after picture. Like a before and after picture is a snapshot in a lifetime's journey that you have to take. Like there is no end to, to self-improvement. There's no end to being a good person. It's the work you do every day. Um, I'm really into philosophy uh, I like to read philosophy. It's just fun. But, well, that
0: was just a, you just dropped a fucking
1: banger right there. <laughs> well, yeah, that's it's mostly uh, paraphrasing other people's work probably, but there's a guy, I recommend this book, uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Uh, incredible. It, basically, he was, at the time of he was alive, was like the most powerful person. He's an um, emperor of Rome, and he has his journal, and he's just writing in his journal how every day how he wants how he can work to be a better human being and there's so much wisdom inside that little he never meant to publish it but somebody found it and translated it over time and so now we have this like snapshot of a person who's just like trying to be a good human being but also dealing with losing four kids trying to run a empire in a plague um, dealing with war and all he's writing about is how to deal with human beings tempers and people that don't understand self-awareness and how to still be a good person to them um he has this saying like be i think it's like be strict with yourself and tolerant with others it's like mm. hold yourself to a high standard Keep be a good human being but when you're dealing with somebody that is having who isn't be tolerant with them understand that they don't understand they, they don't have that gift that you have of self-awareness and that they might be dealing with things that they don't have the tools to deal with. Like I never, like road rage is one of those things. It's the greatest demonstration to me of, of people who haven't figured out self-awareness is like, if you see somebody freaking out at people on the road, it's like that person does not know how to handle their emotions in a, in a, in a, in a good way. They're just freaking out at somebody because they cut them off. It's like, who cares? Like, why, why are you holding on to all that negative emotion? That's just only hurting you. you it does nothing. Nobody else win, you know, takes that away from you. You're just hurting yourself by doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, like we said right before we started recording, it's like forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't for anybody else. Forgiveness is for you. If you have people that have hurt you in your life or have done awful things, like no matter how bad it is, learning to forgive them and move on gives you freedom, gives you like the ability to move around and that that weight off of your shoulders. It um, It's hard, you know, like nothing but the, the thing is like nothing in life that, ever gives you benefit has been easy. Everything, like, um, one of my favorite books, uh, Miyamoto Musashi, I don't know, you know who he is? He's a he's a samurai that um, was alive in the 1500s, I think, and he's the greatest, most prolific swordsman of all time. Um, this book, Musashi, written about his life, and he's got a book that he wrote called The Book of Five Rings, but he developed, basically, like, he his entire life is dedicated to being the best swordsman in life and what he discovered... It's a wonderful book. It's a thousand pages. So it's a bit of a read. But, um, the thing that he tells in this journey throughout his life is like, he discovers, he has a saying, um, know the way of something broadly. And you know, the way of all things is if you work hard and you're disciplined about something to the point of mastery, you then can look around and apply those things that you learn those same principles to anything in life. And then you will be able to be successful in those things. Um, It doesn't matter what it is. If you are really good at painting minis and you are dedicated to that craft of painting really cool model trains and many things, and you are disciplined and you learn the tools to make you really successful at that, you can turn around and apply that to jujitsu. You can turn around and apply that to, you know, um, economics. Like if you wanted to, you can take those skills because it boils down to the same things self the self discipline thing and those those principles that keep you moving forward it is very simple it's just very difficult and when you understand that the difficult part of it is where the the juice of life is that's like that's all you need Um, everybody's looking for the retirement right like everybody's looking for that the and this is coming from a twenty five year old so you know whatever the fuck take it for a grain of salt but everybody's looking for the end date you know like that after picture yeah but that's not where you're going to be happy you're going to be happy somewhere right in the middle of the grind, like the pursuit of things, and it's not for everybody, um, but also like not everybody is going to come to the realization about these kinds of things, not everybody's going to want to do these kinds of things, but I guarantee you, everybody that tries to do these kinds of things will find happiness in that pursuit, like whatever it is, and that's why a lot of dudes have a hard time. And I saw this even in the guard when we got home from the deployment. It's like when you're overseas, you have a singular purpose. You have a very, very clear, defined focus and passion. But on this side of things, people just scramble and just like don't know where to put their because they don't have a focus and a purpose to move towards. And anybody who goes from that chaos and then rediscovers a purpose and a focus to move towards, all of a sudden everything in their life starts to come back together. You know, they, it's easier to not drink when you have. Um, this happens to a lot of guys. I you've seen um, when they have kids, is like, you now have a why. I was just talking to somebody yesterday about. Um, there's this quote from um, uh, so a famous survivor of the Holocaust, and I can't. His name is escaping me, but he said, "A good why will survive anyhow." Is your your purpose? as long as it's well defined and good for you and is strong for you no matter what it takes you will succeed if the why is strong enough and a lot of that is it happens when people have kids It's like they now i need to do this for my kids like i will not stop because i need to take care of my kids you know i will wake up at 4am and go do that fucking hard labor job because i need to bring food home for my kid and um, people stop short of doing the work with their emotions and their mental health, I think, a lot because it's harder and you don't have to do it to bring the money home, but I think that that's just as important for your kids. Your kids don't care a lot of the time that you bring in $10,000 more a year, but they care that you're there and you're present and you're emotionally well and that you're teaching them good lessons. Um, My wife is a a teacher at a Montessori preschool. She teaches three- to five-year-olds. She's very – she's so educated. She's so smart, but she's taught me a lot about, um, like – how kids brains work and how when you talk to them like saying one thing you know this versus the other like what will um kids will understand but also like uh carry with them and like most of it is is like being honest and loving but not uh what's the word permissive so like don't do everything for your kid but teach your kid how to do everything you know don't be you know and this is also coming from a dude that doesn't have kids so there's a lot of lessons i have to learn but um i had a bad parent i had a couple several bad parents and i've had to kind of figure out all this stuff by myself but when i see my friends who are good parents you know get purpose in their life and move in that direction it makes me so happy to see like somebody just like uh, level up for their kids and level up their emotions, their mental health, their physical health, just so that they could be there, be present, and be so um, uh, dedicated to their family. And like, it doesn't ha- you don't have to wait for something bad to happen for that. You don't have to wait for your kid to be here for you to do that. You could be thinking about if you want kids, but you don't want them right now, like that's where me and my wife are. I want to wait till I'm 30. I want to check some boxes first. You can start being a good parent now. Because it how you treat everybody in your life should be the same way you treat your kid. you shouldn't treat people different, you know you shouldn't have uh because it everybody deserves love no no matter how well there's some people that don't deserve love, yeah, pedophiles, but um we we know what we're talking about, but um everybody deserves love, and if you treat every single person with that same love that you treat your child with every day, you won't have. Uh, regrets when you go to sleep. Um, Marcus Aurelius, love it. You wake up as if you're being reborn and go to sleep as if you're dying. Mm. Like, live life your whole life every day. Um, and I, you know, do it with love first, positivity first. You're just gonna build a life in which people like you, people wanna be around you. You, you, good people wanna be around you. That's a good sign, you know, when people that like you look up to wanna hang out with you, like, that's a good sign. And, um, you won't go to sleep regretting any decision if you lead every decision with love. <sighs> Powerful.
0: Listen, I'm going to—this is, this is just part one. I'm going cu- to cut this off because I know—and listen, I'm going to be not selfish, and I'm a selfish prick. <laughs> but I am enjoying this conversation so much, but I know that you're driving to Oregon today. Yeah, I just today, what time it is. <laughs> and I'm, honestly, I got a couple things for you okay. just by listening. When you said low key, you want sketchy by nature to stay small. Mm-hmm. It's not going to, bro. Damn it! With <laughs> people listen to this, they're going to follow because you have such a powerful and strong message. Um, and another thing is, is you should start a podcast. Oh, actually, just, I yeah, I, I'm I, at, think, yeah. <laughs> I think that if you're if you're going to or whatever, I think that not only that you speak well, but you are so. I mean, everything that you speak about, like I am. I'm sitting here and I'm just not saying anything. You know, I'm just listening yeah. to what you have to say. Thank you. And uh it just makes me really, really proud that we're friends and I just I need and I want people like you in my life. And I don't want people in my life that are drama and mm-hmm. talk about other people behind their backs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I there's so much of that going on and it's just it's so fucking hurtful. You know what I mean? I want people that are, are positive and that are wanting that that are want that want better in their life, yeah. you know? Yeah. And uh, you're definitely one of them, man. And I just, I am so fucking thankful that you came on the podcast. Um, this is part one. I will definitely yeah. have you back on for, for part sure. two. Um, you know, I just, I wish, I'm a selfish person. I wish that, you know, I lived in Oregon or you lived here, bro. Because yeah, I, I, right? I want people like you in my life. And I, I'm looking forward to when we get to see each other again. Absolutely, man. All right, guys. So that's been another episode of the fucking LFG 1904 show. What a fucking banger. And now we're gonna go out to. uh, Well, I hope this. I hope you like this one. But. All right, he says, "Yeah, Yeah. I picked a good one." Yeah. Open this fucking pit! One. Come on, baby. Fuck! Ah!